gospel. Let's pray together and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Thank you, Father, for your work in our midst through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for worship, for the spiritual gifts, for the testimonies that have been shared. And now, Lord, we want to open up your word together. And we tremble as we do this. We know this is the words of the living God. And we pray that you would speak to us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us. And Lord, I need your help as I do this. Help me to be clear. Help me to have the right heart. Help me to be in, in, in faithfulness to your scriptures as I preach. And so come and move in our, in our hearts in a mighty way now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, as we always say, raise your hand because we want to bring one to you so that you can look on with us as we study this passage. So Philippians chapter 1, and in the Bibles that we're passing out, it's on page 980. So go ahead and just turn there. 980 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now, while you're turning there, I want you to think about this. And that is that Satan works very hard to keep you from obeying Jesus Christ. He works really hard every day to keep you from obeying Christ for a number of reasons. One is because if he can keep you from obeying Christ, then you will lose your joy. And if he can keep you from obeying Christ, you will weaken the brothers and sisters around you. You will uh, cause there to be a setback, a retrenchment of the advance of the gospel. And if he can cause you to disobey Christ, then, then you won't be honoring and glorifying your Savior. And so all those really motivate Satan to work really hard to keep you from obeying Jesus Christ. And one of the ways Satan does this, there's lots of ways, but one of them is that he makes us think that obeying certain commands is impossible for us to do. Right? We look at the commands, we look at how weak we are, we just say, that's impossible. can never do that. That's one of his strategies to keep us from obeying. Now, Paul knows that that's one of Satan's strategies. And so when he wrote Philippians chapter 1, he knew where he was going in this chapter, and he knew that the commands he was going to give in in verses 27 and 28 could very possibly feel impossible for his readers. And that's why, starting in verse 3, going all the way to verse 26 in chapter 1, what Paul is doing is he's hammering home the truth again and again that God will enable you to obey. God will help you to obey. What's impossible for you is possible with God. God will enable you to do this. So that by the time the readers get to verse 26, they're like, all right, let's go. Now, I I want to walk you through how Paul does that so that when we look at verse 27 today, we will say, all right, let's go. So notice in verses 3 through 8, Paul is thanking God for the believers there in Philippi, and he thanks God for how God has enabled them to advance the gospel. From the very first day of their conversion, God has helped them to advance the gospel. And then he gives that beautiful verse 6 where he says, the good work that God started in you, he will continue. He will keep it going all the way to the day of Christ Jesus. And so the the point that he wants his readers to get here is that just as God has enabled you to obey in the past, God will continue to enable you to obey in the present and in the future. That's verses 3 through 8. Then in verses 9 through 11, he prays for them that their love for other people would abound, overflow. And that prayer for love to abound 
is very similar to the commands he's going to give in verse 27 and 28. So what he's really praying for is that they would be able to do this. And of course, by praying for them, he's reminding them, it's God who enables you to obey. Obedience does not come mostly from you. God's power enables you to obey. So since he's praying for God to enable them to obey, they can be confident God will answer that prayer. He will enable them to obey. That's verses 9 through 11. Then verses 12 through 26, Paul has given four examples of how he has lived out the commands that are there in verses 27 and 28. And again, we've seen this. The reason he gives these examples of how God has enabled him to obey is so that his readers will see that just as God has enabled Paul to do this, so God will enable them to do this. Okay, so the readers have been going through verse 3 to 8, 9 through 11, 12 through 26. And at this point, they're going to be saying, all right, we're confident. God is going to enable us to obey. Any command God gives us, no matter how weak I feel, no matter how wimpy spiritually I might seem, God's got the power, God promises, he will enable me to obey. That's where Paul wants his readers at verse 26. That's where he wants us when we come to verse 26. So with that in mind, let's look then at what Paul commands them and what he commands us to do in verses 27 to 30. Look at this command, and he's been building up to it through all of chapter 1. Look at what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them, regarding them, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So the main command is right there at the beginning of verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to live in such a way that my life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It all starts there. And when you become a Christian, you receive Jesus Christ into your life. You now have Jesus Christ. And the reality is that Jesus Christ, who you now have in your life, you have him, you know him, he's yours. He is the infinitely most valuable reality in the universe. Infinitely more than anything else is Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, when you receive him, Jesus is your Savior, huge. He's your friend. He's your God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is your forgiver of all your sins, past, present, future, forgiveness. He's your forgiver. He's your king. He is your guide. He is your comfort. 
He is your provider. He is your sustainer. He's your strengthener. He's your peace. He's your joy. He's your hope. He's your resurrector. This is all that we have, and you have him. Through faith alone, you're forgiven, clothed with his righteousness. Jesus Christ is yours. You have him. You know him. You can walk with him. You can love him. You can call upon him. You can depend upon him. You have Christ. You have Jesus Christ. He's yours. Infinite worth. Nothing else compares to Jesus Christ. So the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. And so living in such a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ means living in such a way that I display his worth. Jesus Christ is objective reality. He is the infinitely most valuable reality in the universe. And to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ means I walk in a way that displays his worth. And when we see his worth, that is really easy to do. Let me give you some examples. Ladies, okay? Let's say someone gave you a beautiful, glistening, five-carat diamond. Okay, now, Jan told me that would be pretty valuable, okay? I started off with like 15. She said, that's way over the top. Just five's plenty, okay? So, so <laughs> ladies, if somebody gave you a five-carat diamond, all right, now, you would, you would feel that this is worth, this is worthy. And would it be hard for you to display its worth? I don't think so. You would show it. You'd you know, let your hand be conspicuous at times, right? You would talk about it. You would safeguard it. You would clean it, I guess, whatever you need to do with diamonds and whatever. So it would not be hard for you to display its worth. You love its worth. You would display its worth. That's how it works. Okay, men, let's say someone gave you a top-of-the-line Tesla sports car. Okay, woo, sizzling. Okay, now, would it be hard for you to display its worth? I don't think so, right? You would drive it slowly, right? You'd, you'd want to go to the grocery store, right? Okay, you would wash it. You would detail it. You would make sure that it was very protected in your garage, whatever you might do. It'd be easier for you to display its worth because you love its worth. And that's what it means to walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see, I mean, again, Jesus Christ is infinitely more valuable than a five-carat diamond in a Tesla sports car. That's just ashes compared to him. And so when we have Jesus Christ, we love him, we trust him, we walk with him. He's everything to us. And so we live in a way that displays his glory. So that's what Paul is calling his readers in Philippi, his readers at Mercy Hill, that's what he's calling us to do. But now, how does Paul want us to display the worth of Jesus Christ? How? And he gives us some more details in verses 27 down to the beginning of verse 28. Look at what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Okay, so I kind of break that down into three parts. Paul is calling us to join together, part one, to advance the gospel without fear. Join together, part one, to advance the gospel, part two, without fear, part three. So let's just unpack those one at a time. He calls us to join together. Notice that phrase, one spirit and one mind. That means you join with other brothers and sisters and you you love each other and you overcome divisions and you let the reality of Christ that you have and the reality of Christ that they have join you together, whether you're from different racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, whatever kind of backgrounds, age issues. We let Jesus Christ cause us to join together with each other. We overcome our hurts and our personality differences and any problems that may have been there, we, we join together. We come together with other brothers and sisters and we love each other. We care for each other. Bear each other's burdens. Now look at, look at the brothers and sisters around you. Or think about the, the, the brothers and sisters, kids in your home group. Okay? Are you joined together with them? Do you have believers that you are joined together with? You, know, you, can, you can sit by someone here Sunday morning every Sunday for a year and not be joined together with them. We're talking about being joined together. This is a huge part of our vision here at Mercy Hill Church, and we especially pursue that in our home groups. We join together. So that's where Paul starts. But why do we join together? We join together to advance the gospel. And notice that phrase, standing firm. So we got to stand firm. It's like if you're at the ocean and the, and the waves come in and you know, if you're not careful, they could, could knock you off your feet. So you, you plant your feet, okay, because there's things that are seeking to sweep you away. Sin, Satan, the world can see, keep, sweep us away from Jesus Christ. So we, we join together to stand firm. We're arm in arm. We're standing firm together. Notice the phrase, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That word striving has the idea of working hard. Laboring, So we're, we're, we're locked arms, we're side by side, we're seeking to advance the gospel together in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our city, 1040 window, wherever God might call us. We, we're locked arm in arm with other believers seeking to advance the gospel together. But there's one other, I'm sorry, before I go there, let me give you some examples of what this might mean. Standing firm might mean... You tell your boss that you can't lie to that client. You can't do it. Even though it might cost you your job. You're standing firm. And you've got brothers and sisters, you're, you're locking arms. I'll never forget in our home group, a woman who needed a job, got an offer from Kaiser to, to do the phone. She's a nurse to do the phone answering thing. But part of that meant she had to be willing to prescribe the morning after pill, which produces an abortion. And she shared that with the home group. I don't think I should do that, but I need a job. And we prayed, and she was joined arm in arm, and she did not take the job. And then God got her, it has been two weeks later, got her a great job of an El Camino hospital. Okay, so standing firm. Okay, we're standing firm. We're not letting anything move us away from being faithful to Jesus Christ. Standing firm, joining together. To advance the gospel might mean having um, some neighbors over for dinner. To, to just bless them with some good food. Hear their story. Share your story. Maybe, maybe share testimony of the worth of Jesus Christ, who he is to you, what's happened in your life through trusting Christ. 
advancing the gospel. So joining together to advance the gospel. That, that displays Christ's worth. And, and we, that's easy to do. Like a diamond, like a Tesla, Jesus Christ, infinitely more worthwhile. We love doing that, but there is a problem that does make it hard. And Paul says we need to do this without fear. Notice, he says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. So they had opponents, people that were seeking to cause them harm. And notice how he says in verse 29, he talks about suffering for Christ's sake. So these opponents were were opposing the advance of the gospel. They didn't like them talking about Jesus. They didn't like them following Christ, and they were threatening them in a way that would cause them suffering. So again, we saw in verses 3 through 8 that from the first day of their conversion, the believers in Philippi had been advancing the gospel, but it seems that now there was some pushback coming from areas of the city, people in the city. There was some suffering going on, and that they were pulling back a little bit. And so that's why Paul has to bring this command. So in that culture, think of what this would have meant. I mean, in that culture, um, given the political system that they were in and the hostility towards Christ, there was the possibility of beatings, possibility of prison, uh, losing jobs, definitely, losing property, definitely, possibility of death. That's the kind of suffering Paul's describing here in verse 29. So it seems that Paul's readers had become frightened and were we're pulling back from advancing the gospel in their workplaces, their neighborhoods, their, their city. And so Paul is calling them, join together to advance the gospel without fear. This will display Christ's worth. Do that. But again, it wouldn't be easy. I mean, imagine, let's just put ourselves back in that, in that setting. 62 AD, Philippi. And imagine knowing that you could invite a neighbor over for, for dinner, give them a good meal, hear their story, share your story, share testimony of Christ. And if they called the authorities, you could hear a knock on your door at midnight and be arrested and thrown in prison. Now, that's foreign for us here. right? We don't face anywhere near that level. But that's true of many, many believers around the world today. I mean, Burma, Vietnam, parts of China, parts of Mexico, South America, right? Okay, Saudi Arabia. I mean, just at parts of Africa, Morocco, Algeria, Libya. I mean, you know, Kazakhstan. You get to get to places where it's possible that you could be imprisoned for your faith. Now, we don't deal with that here. That's not what we face. But we still face the possibility of suffering, and even though ours is much less. It can make us fearful, right? I mean, we can we can pull back. Danger of missing a promotion, possibly, or losing a job, or having you know, neighbors start to talk about us behind our backs and the pain of those uh, relationships. So what Paul is calling us to do is to join together with our brothers and sisters to advance the gospel, stand firm and advance, and to do that without fear. Without fear. How would that be possible to do it without fear? I mean, especially in their setting. Okay, possibility of beatings or of arrests, of loss of job, livelihood, possessions, loss of, of life, possibly. And even with us, I mean, to think about losing a job, losing a promotion, uh, losing friendships. I think all of us struggle with fear. I do, in terms of my neighbors, and I think we probably all do. So how is it possible? And Paul tells us how it's possible. 
In the rest of this passage, he gives us three reasons that we can do this without fear. Now, we've seen that God enables us to obey him. He enables obedience. Okay, so if, But if God enables obedience, why does Paul need to give us reasons? Right? It's because that's how God enables us to obey. It's through the reasons in his word. The Holy Spirit can so stir our hearts through these three reasons that reason number one, fear diminishes some. Reason number two, fear diminishes more. Reason number three, finish, fear is gone. The Holy Spirit works through the truth of God's word to change our hearts. That's how God enables obedience. That's how he empowers our obedience. And so that's what Paul's doing here when he gives these three reasons. So I want you just to think in your mind, what fear has kept me from being more bold to advance the gospel? Is it fear of what somebody might think of you in your neighborhood or of having an awkward conversation or of you know problems at work, maybe losing a promotion? You know, maybe the guys all like to go to the strip club after work, and it's like, I, you know, I, I think I might need to tell them I'm not willing to do that, but that might cost me relationship at least, maybe even, you know, moving ahead in the company, whatever it might be. Identify what fear is keeping you from being more bold to advance the gospel. Identify it. Okay? Got it in your mind? We're not going to make you share it here. Just have it in your mind. Now, what I want us to do is to take that fear, take those fears, and let's, let's let these three reasons destroy those fears. That's why Paul wrote this the way that he did. Three reasons in the rest of these verses. First reason is this. This might sound kind of harsh, but it's important to understand reality. First, realize that unless they are saved, that is, those imprisoning you, beating you, mocking you, unless they are saved, those who cause you to suffer will be destroyed. Read verses 27 and 28 again. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightening anything by your opponents. There's the command. Here's the first reason. This is a clear sign to them, regarding them, of their destruction. This is a clear sign of their destruction. But of your salvation, and that from God... So whenever somebody causes you to suffer for the gospel, that is a sign of two things. Okay, one is their destruction, and the other is your salvation. Let's start with the first one, their destruction. Okay, the destruction Paul's talking about here is its eternal punishment in hell. That's the destruction Paul's talking about here. Not being saved, ending up facing the eternal conscious torment of hell forever. Now, Jesus... So remember, what, not forget what Jesus told us. He said, love your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Right? Okay, so our hearts break when we read this. Okay? We're not like, yeah. No. We, we love our enemies. Father, save them. They don't know what they're doing. Save them. Jesus modeled this for us. No one has suffered like Jesus suffered. So we love, we pray, 
but it helps to know that if they don't turn, if they don't bend the knee towards Christ, if they don't get saved, they're going to face destruction. And that's helpful because when you're in the midst of suffering, it's, it's, just, it's comforting to realize the suffering will not last forever. It will stop. Final judgment is coming. Justice will be done. Life is short here on earth. Suffering, therefore, is short here on earth. Eternity is long. No suffering in heaven. And so it can comfort you. I mean, again, but it, our suffering is fairly small. But you think about the, the Iranian pastor, or the, the American pastor, Iranian background, who's in prison, and he can think, this is going to be over. I hope I'll get released soon, but I will get released soon. There's no doubt about it. Release is coming. My oppressors will not oppress me forever. If they don't repent, they will be destroyed. And, oh, Father, save them. Change their hearts. Help them. And so this would bring comfort knowing that the suffering which we do experience in this life is temporary. God's justice will be done. The suffering is not forever. It's temporary. And that brings hope. And that brings comfort. So apply that to the fear that you have. Second, here's the second reason. Realize that your suffering is a sign of your salvation. So read the latter part of verse 28. This, that is suffering for the gospel, is a clear sign to them regarding them. It's a clear sign about them of their destruction, but it's a clear sign of your salvation and that from God. When you're willing to suffer for the gospel, that shows, it's a clear sign, it's a clear sign of your salvation. Now why? Well, it's because when, when you're willing to suffer uh, for Jesus Christ, for the gospel, it shows that Jesus Christ is your infinite worth. It shows that. It shows that Jesus Christ is worth more to you than your job. He's worth more to you than the promotion. He's worth more to you than your possessions. He's worth more to you than comfortable relationships. He's worth more to you than your life. I mean, if you're willing to suffer for Christ, that means, Jesus Christ, you are more valuable than those things. I count you as more precious than those things. I'm willing to let those things go to glorify you. Now, where does somebody get a heart like that? Only one place. Salvation. When you're born again by the Holy Spirit, God enables you to see Jesus Christ in his glory, in his majesty, in his beauty. You see Christ and you feel his worth, and you love him. And so you're willing to let, like the Martin Luther song, let goods and kindred, let them go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever, from the song of Mighty Fortress. So let that destroy even further your fear. Jesus Christ is worth whatever you fear losing. Vastly worth whatever you fear losing. 
See, understand, when, when you're suffering, when you're in the midst of suffering, you can be assured, by God's grace, I'm saved. I'm here. I'm willing to endure this cost. And so you can know that the day is coming when you see Jesus Christ face to face. And he will look you in the eyes and he will say, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter to the joy of the Lord. You will see that. You will hear that. You will be there. And so when you're in the midst of suffering, let that comfort you, let that assure you, let that strengthen you. Okay, are we? Are, are the fears diminishing? I think, well, a little more, a little more. Well, Paul had a third one. Okay, that's all right. He's got one more. And this one is, is, is astonishing. Realize that your suffering is a gracious gift from God. Shocking statement. Look at verse 29. Isn't that what Paul's saying? He says, for it has been granted to you. Now that, that word granted, the Greek word has the word grace in its root. And so it's not, there's another word for to give, to give something. This is not just the normal word to give. This is to graciously give. To you it has been graciously granted would be a very appropriate translation of that word. For it has been graciously granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So when you suffer, realize that your suffering is a gracious gift from God. It's a gracious gift from God. In the same way that God graciously gave you faith when he first saved you, so God graciously gives suffering throughout our lives. It's a gracious gift from God. Now, don't miss who's writing these words. This is Paul. This is not just some kind of an armchair theoretician spinning off interesting ideas. This is Paul. Paul knew suffering. It's almost hard to believe. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, he describes his sufferings. Okay, He said five times. No, I think I got that one wrong. Three times. Three times he'd been beaten with rods. He pictured two by fours. Three times he remembered each one. He'd been beaten with rods. Once he'd been stoned and left for dead. So so pummeled with rocks, people throwing at him that he was knocked out and left. People thought he was dead. He's got to be dead. And they all walked away. And he wasn't dead. And he got up and I don't know, people helped him up, believers helped him up, whatever. And then he says that five times, five times, he received 39 lashes on his back. Now he wrote that in 2 Corinthians. I had the question this morning, was that after he wrote Philippians or before? And Paul wrote 2 Corinthians around 58 AD, and he wrote 2 Corinthians in 62 AD. So this is after that. This is after Paul has experienced that. And, and Paul says that suffering is a gracious gift from God. This is astonishing, church. This is so foreign to my Christian life and so foreign to your Christian life. We are so wired to pursue comfort. 
But Paul says suffering is a gracious gift. It's a gift. How can it be a gift? You're losing. Right? Suffering means losing something. How can suffering be a gift? And here's how it is. It's because Jesus Christ is an infinite treasure. It's who Jesus Christ is. And when God calls us to suffer for Christ, your suffering honors Christ. Your suffering glorifies Christ. Your suffering exalts Christ. So you're there with the job loss. Jesus is being praised. You're there in prison. Jesus is being praised. You're suffering for him. It's clear that he is worth more to you than whatever you've just lost, so he is praised. And there is no greater joy than exalting the one who deserves all exaltation, glorifying the one who deserves all the glory, praising the one who deserves all praise. There's no higher joy than that. See, that's why Acts chapter 5, I mean, get a feel for this. Luke tells us that the apostles, after they'd been beaten for preaching the gospel, they went on their way from the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. Rejoicing over that. Beaten, rejoicing. Because I've had the privilege of displaying Jesus' glory. I'll never forget Jeremy Frischau. Some of you remember Jeremy. In Morocco, okay, been arrested for smuggling Bibles in, being questioned. Jeremy Frischau, 16-year-old Jeremy Frischau fearless as he's answering all these questions, just talking about Jesus Christ, testifying to Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. Just ablaze with the glory of God. And, and he, was, he was full of joy. I wish you could have seen him. It was, it was a beautiful thing. Okay, so suffering for Christ is not God failing you. It's God loving you. If he calls you to suffer, it's not his hatred of you. It's his kindness towards you. Because he will give you such joy in that moment, the joy of glorifying your Savior, honoring your King, exalting your Jesus, that you will see it as a gift. It's a gift. So if for Christ's sake you don't compromise something at work and lose a job because of that, It's a gracious gift to you from God. That suffering is a gracious gift to you from God. If you have a neighbor over, share your testimony, and then next day you you, you hear that, or you can kind of see and feel, they've been talking to all the neighbors about what an idiot you are, and all the neighbors are kind of looking at you funny, and and the, the feel, the atmosphere of the neighborhood has changed. Gracious gift to you from God. That's what Paul's saying here. So, The way that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is by joining together to advance the gospel. And we need to do that without fear because there will be suffering. The gracious gift of suffering. So understand, the suffering will not last forever. And if they don't, either they will turn and the suffering will stop or they will not return, not, not, not turn, not repent and they will end up being judged. But the suffering will end. 
It's a sign of your salvation. Well done, good and faithful servant. And even now, it's a gracious gift from God. He will so meet you and thrill you and satisfy you as you have the opportunity to display his worth that you'll count it as a gift from God. So why would you fear a gift? Why would you hold back from doing something if it's going to give you a gift? Don't hold back from advancing the gospel. Suffering's a gift of more of Christ, more join him, more of his presence. So join together to advance the gospel without fear. Now, what questions does this raise? Am I understanding the passage right? And again, our passion here is that the word is what's important. The scriptures are what's important. Not, not so much my words, but am I, am I explaining the scriptures right? Or, or are we in sync here? Questions about clarity, questions about how this would apply in different situations. What questions does this stir up in your mind? And go ahead. Here comes the mic. Very good. Wow. It's a great question. You are not an argumentative person. We know that. So, what are some? We're a body here. Let's. You know, we've all been involved in advancing the gospel. What? Are, what, what let's give Anne some counsel. What would you suggest, Jason? Why don't you get the mic here? Okay. Okay. What else? Sean. Thanks, Jerry. helpful good and i would just i would encourage you to take some time you i'm sure you've already done this but but again maybe with people in your home group to pray and ask the lord for wisdom uh just like i mean god gave jason a way to 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 connect with a friend um where there was a a, they needed some more connection there i mean the lord will give you wisdom in fact let's let's pray for Anne right now lord we ask that you would give Anne wisdom thank you so much that this friend and her daughter are coming over tonight And we pray, Lord, that you'd give Anne wisdom. And we pray that you would touch her friend's heart. You know, you are the one who saves people. You are the one who opens hearts. 
And so we pray that you would give Anne love and wisdom and grace. I mean, she, you've already given her so much of that. And we pray for even more, Lord, and that um, you'd give her wisdom as to how to best love and care for this friend coming over tonight in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So if you have other, others of you have thoughts for Anne, share them afterwards. So other questions? Dave. Okay. Okay. That may be a good. I suppose I, I don't know. I'm not sure of your past, but. Okay. So you're. This is. This is. So you're giving. This is a possible suggestion for Anne. Oh, how you overcome that? So how can you share your testimony if there's parts of your testimony that might frighten people? Okay, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? How do you share your testimony if parts of your testimony are frightening? Back in the back, Mike? Well, I know. Uh, I mean, first of all, David said people are afraid of him, and that's kind of surprising me. But, but I also know a lot of times, this okay. uh, a lot of times I get to know people, and uh, I've had this happen more than once, and somebody says, boy, when I met you, you know, I was really intimidated by you, and, and now they think it's laughable. Huh, okay. That they were ever afraid of me. So maybe for David, it's just let them get to know who you are and and don't share so much about your past that, you know, in other words, don't intimidate them more, just tell them more about who you are. Okay. So maybe, maybe leave some parts of your testimony out, possibly. Yeah, focus on, you know, yeah, so, and you can do that without taking the focus off of Jesus, so, Jerry? Yes. Yes. Walk the walk. Yeah. And that's beautiful what God led you to do with the person living in your house this week. You've already taken steps like that, so it's great. Okay, let me close by having us do this. I would guess that many of us, the Holy Spirit's stirring our hearts about an area that we need to stand firm, where maybe there's some maybe possible compromise, or we need to advance the gospel. And I would just like you to stand if God's stirring something in your heart, and I want us to pray over you, and let's ask God to move, to empower you, to give you fearlessness, so go ahead and stand if God's stirring something in your heart. And we want to pray. Be bold. Go ahead. Okay, let's pray. This is a very sobering and encouraging passage, Father. And we pray for those who are standing, Lord, that you would strengthen them. By the work of your Holy Spirit, through these truths, Lord, we pray Strengthen them, comfort them, encourage them, embolden them, we ask in Jesus' name. That this week they could stand firm for the gospel. This week they could advance the gospel. We pray that you would do that, Lord, in these specific areas that you're stirring their hearts. And Lord, for all of us, as we're joining together with brothers and sisters in Christ to advance the gospel, help us to do that without fear, Lord. Please, we pray. Help us see suffering as a gift, 
of more of Christ, more love for Christ, more glory being given to Christ. Help us to see suffering as a gift from you, Lord, so that we would not pull back when you call us into advancing the gospel in ways that could produce suffering. Give us boldness, Lord. Pour out your grace upon us through Jesus. Thank you for these words. And advance the gospel, we pray. Save the lost through us, we ask. In Jesus' name, for the glory of your Holy Son. Amen.